0: everyone welcome to the folklore scotland podcast we're back in the Cranog this week and it's halloween or it will be tomorrow so we're going to be talking ghost stories specifically ghosts who come from real people real people who became ghosts ghosts that were once real people <laughs>
1: Perhaps unsurprisingly, the ghost I'm speaking about this episode began life alive. Tam Diel of the Bins lived from 1615 to 1685. He rose to infamy as a Royalist General during the Wars of the Three Kingdoms, in which he joined the Scottish Royalist Forces, headed by Charles II, against Oliver Cromwell and the Scottish Covenanters. During the Battle of Worcester, he was taken prisoner by Cromwell's team and imprisoned in the Tower of London. Tam managed to escape the tower, though, returning to take part in the Highland Rebellion against Cromwell. At this point, Cromwell was well and truly fed up with the man and set a price on his head, 200 guineas, dead or alive. Tam preferred to be alive. He fled to Russia, quenching his thirst for bloodshed by entering the service of Tsar Alexis I and fighting against the Turks and the Tatars. Do you think Tam stopped there? Of course not. His nickname is Bloody Tam, after all. He returned to Britain after the restoration of King Charles II and by 1666 was serving as commander-in-chief of the King's Army in Scotland. He gained his nickname defeating a force of Covenanters. He promised quarter to all 1,200 who surrendered, yet brutally tortured the prisoners taken. In fact, Tam disagreed with this backstabbing move as he much preferred to stab people through the face. However, his reputation as a warrior won the day and he was widely held responsible for the massacre, becoming forevermore Bloody Tam. Tam passed away in 1685, but his story doesn't stop there. Bloody Tam had lived a life wrested from the grip of his enemies. With every slash of his sword, his soul blackened, and his fierce desire to survive outweighed all morality or promise of an ideal afterlife. How could a man such as that ever allow the reaper to take him? Out in West Lothian, you can visit the ancestral seat of the DL family, the House of the Bins. In Gaelic, this translates as House of the Hills, due to its location spread over two hills. The main house is beautiful. The main house is also haunted. On quiet nights, with only the moon lighting the red walls through the bay windows, visitors can hear Bloody Tam marching through his halls. If you're lucky, or perhaps unlucky, you may also see a rider on a white stallion galloping along the road towards the bins. One of the more famous stories about Bloody Tam concerns a large marble table currently collecting dust in the entrance hall. The general's table is carved with a floral design where semi precious or precious stones were once inlaid. The stones are now long vanished, replaced instead with a distinctive semi circular blackish stain seared into the back corner. Tam didn't spill his coffee. The stain comes from a hoof of the devil himself. You see, Tam, being the ferocious, cruel man that he was, was, of course, great pals with the devil. Whenever Old Nick came to visit, the two would play cards on the general's table. Now, whatever you might think about Bloody Tam, we can probably assume that he liked to win. He found, however, that it is very difficult to beat the devil in a game of cards frustrated at facing an enemy it would be improper to plunge one sword into tam thought up a neat trick he cunningly placed a mirror behind the table so he could read his opponent's cards old nick loves cheating as long as he is the one doing it furious at this mortal's audacity he lifted the table and threw it at tam tam managed to dive out of the way watching in horror as the marble monstrosity shattered the window and plunged into the sergeant's pond outside. Around 200 years after Tam had changed professions from general to ghost, the drought struck the house of the bins. The sergeant's pond dwindled and shrunk, leaving behind an algae-covered marble table. Who knows? Perhaps it was a sign that the devil had finally forgiven his old playmate and was ready for a rematch. Perhaps, in revenge for his dirty trick, Bloody Tam is now stuck playing cards forevermore, unable to see himself in a mirror, let alone use one to cheat. No, I like the story. He seems like just one of those people whose reputation is so large when they're alive that the minute they die, it's like people just can't understand a force like that just suddenly not being present in the world anymore. Like I can see people at the time being at- utterly convinced that Bloody Tom is was still rocking around his house because someone who tortured and executed twelve hundred people wouldn't just die. He couldn't just simply die.
2: Did you see any pictures of Tom? They'd be right you were of doing course. Your research? I
1: did. Because he looked
2: like a ghost when he was alive.
1: <laughs> he does. I did find it quite interesting that the only story associated was to do with the table more than with the the person himself. Yeah. I just thought, like, considering he was such a larger-than-life character, you'd have a lot more stories about the atrocities he committed. But maybe a lot of that was lost with Cromwell.
0: Yeah, maybe. And the... Um... Like the playing the devil at cards forever and ever reminded me of that one in Glam's Castle. I can't remember the guy's name but the one where there's like the secret chamber. Errol Beardy. And... Yes him. Because mm. he, he also gets stuck playing.
2: Yeah. Although nobody knows if it, he's actually at yeah. mm-hmm. Errol like The devil just loves a loves a card game. Loves to gamble.
0: Yeah. He doesn't like to
2: lose. He can't cheat the devil. That's nope. what they say.
1: Well, I mean, like, you can, but you just wouldn't want to do it again.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's lo- loads of stories where the devil loses, actually. The devil comes yeah. across as a bit of an idiot sometimes. <laughs> you got bumped th- by the king of the fish. That's a whole other story. That's- we don't have time for
1: that. <laughs> <laughs> in our next episode. It is cool. If you look for a picture of the table, there is this kind of, like, semi-circular mark in the back corner definitely looks like it could be some kind of huff
0: i i just feel like a good like a good big table in a big house like would be used for so much stuff like you know dinners and like i feel like it would be like a real epicenter but if you've got this like cursed table that's so spooky because it's never ever gonna get used it's just gonna sit there
1: um but this is a gorgeous table um they think he brought it back from india during his travels over there. Uh, they I, they know that the carving um it's like Mo- uh, Mughal Empire carving style. There's um an interesting article about it on the National Trust website, actually, which I recommend you read. And if you go to Bin Castle, you'd be able to see it. Um, which I think became a National Trust property after the last um Lord of the L died, and his name was Tam D L. Ah! So. Coincident? <laughs> yeah, absolutely a coincidence.
2: <laughs> Something makes me think the families still have like a little apartment in it.
1: Oh yeah, I'm sure they do, but I think, well I'll double, I'll double check because I don't want to tell people, yeah, you should definitely go there. You can, you can
2: visit it, absolutely, but it's one of, it, like lots of National Trust properties were like that, that were handed over in sort of like the 50s, 60s, 70s. Ah. and it was like yeah the national trust would take it so they don't have to pay any sort of death dues, but the stipulation is that the family get to have like a room or an apartment or something loads of them, almost all of them had something like that it's just that lots of them like, that's now they've like moved out or it's now a holiday accommodation or whatever
1: how interesting no so yes you can have a guided tour of the house and they um received the house in 2017 so it's a newer property <laughs>
2: Okay, this story starts uh, long before our Lady Ghost was alive. But in my opinion, the history behind Fivey Castle is a key part of why it has quite so many ghosts. It's all because Fivey is a cursed castle. In the 13th century, when the castle was still just a simple tower house, the famous prophet Thomas de Reimer arrived looking for shelter. It was a rough, stormy night, and Thomas would have been looking forward to a warm welcome and a roaring fire. Instead, it was either the blowing wind or an overzealous guard slammed the gate closed in his face. An enraged Thomas, cursed Fivey, declaring that the fate of the castle would be tied to three stones that had been stolen from a nearby church. One in the highest tower, one in the Lady's Bower, and one below the water gate. Until all three stones were brought back together, Fivey Castle would have a difficult succession, and those who lived there would suffer. And if you know anything about Thomas the Rhymer, then you'll know that the Queen of the Fairies gifted him a tongue that couldn't lie, so anything he said came true. Only one of the weeping stones has ever been found, and it sits on display in the charter room. At times, it appears inexplicably damp, weeping at being kept apart from the other two. That's where the name comes from. Even if one of the stones could be removed from the highest tower somehow, the third is forever lost in the river, and the curse is held true. The inhabitants of Fivey Castle have not had an easy succession. The castle has passed between noble families, each new owner marking their presence by building their own tower, which is why the place is so enormous. One of the many phantoms spotted in these walls is the Green Lady. She's the most regular and expert ghosty people who have been in contact with the other side claim that she is the head ghost. In life, she was Lilius Drummond, born in the late 16th century, and her presence is often only detected as the faint smell of rose petal perfume. Her husband, Alexander Seaton, was a cruel man and who longed for an heir to pass his vast wealth onto. A victim of Thomas Reimer's curse, Lilius gave birth to five daughters and no sons. Alexander lost his patience, and he locked Lilius away to make room for a new, younger wife. Her family apparently staged a dramatic rescue attempt, but instead of Lilius seeing her freedom, she saw the bodies of her family members dropping past the tiny window of her prison. Soon she died of starvation, and Alexander wasted no time in marrying once again. On his wedding night, the happy couple retreated to a bedroom in the highest tower of Fivey Castle, and instead of a long night of marital bliss, they were kept awake by a strange scratching and a terrifying wailing from outside the walls. After the sleepless night, Alexander looked out the window to see something more frightening than any noise in the dark could have been. There on the window ledge, far too high for anybody to have reached, was the name D for Dame Lilius Drummond, etched into the stone. The carved name is still there to see, and it appears that Lilius is still unable to leave the castle. But then she might just be waiting for somebody to finally break the curse of the weeping stones.
1: That one's, like, genuinely quite creepy.
0: Yeah.
2: It's incredible. And it's, like... Yeah, it's the fact the name is there. It's quite big. It's like big, like three inch letters, you know, on this window ledge, and it's facing out the way as well as if somebody has carved it, looking from the outside in the window. That's
1: like, how did it? How did you even? How did it even get there?
2: Ghost, obviously.
1: Well, obviously, we I know, I shouldn't, shouldn't have asked. asked. How did it get there? I shouldn't have asked. I should have known. Or one of the although does that mean she's a poltergeist and not a ghost
0: <laughs> on their way down? Yeah. Is there not a ghost story about, or maybe it's in like a classic book? I can't remember, but there's a story about a woman who was like put in a like a chest in her wedding dress and like, because it was kind of giving me that, like the same, like the like the wife kind of like locked away by yes, the
1: It's a Greek, it's that's how this, uh, yeah, a Greek tale about. The, it's a woman she does it with Zeus as per <laughs> Um, her dad puts her into a chest and floats her across the ocean and then a fisherman finds her I think it's is it Telemachus maybe it's the the son and he's the hero
0: that's actually not one I've ever heard before so that means that there's another one on the same frame there's thing. one
3: where the oh my god <laughs> locks went out and locked his wife in a cave in order to marry someone else.
0: Also not that one That okay. Maybe I've made There's this a, one
3: up. One based over on the Isle of Lewis or around that area, somewhere out of Hebrides. Um where the woman well, she disappeared and they found her years later in the wedding dress with the ring in the box.
0: That's that's what I'm thinking of.
3: Yeah. I think that was meant to be a ghosty one as well. She disappeared just at the wedding feast. They all knew she wasn't happy about it and they wondered what happened. Then they just found her like, well, she was found a couple of hundred years later when the castle was falling down and she was in this box. And well, it's debated whether she, you know, killed herself, stored away, but they think it's probably more likely she was being dramatic and hid herself and then couldn't get out because it was all latched from the inside. So, what we're getting is. Or the the outside, sorry. We have a lot of
1: stories. No, listen, I've got it. I've got it. I don't know where I got Telemachus, who was the son of Odysseus. It's it's Perseus. That's uh, Perseus' mother was the one who Zeus impregnated by raining on her in a golden rain. And oh, the Oracle...
2: This is a family constantly. podcast. So I'm just sure that you can't get pregnant that way.
1: File. <laughs> <Well>, family podcast. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, she was... Um, uh, the Oracle of Delphi said that if uh i can't even i don't even know how to pronounce her name danny danny if if she was going to have a child it would um take over from king uh chrysius and so when zeus impregnated her through a golden rain and there's no other interpretation of those phrase other than water falling from the sky and it looks golden um (laughs) He put her and her child into a wooden chest and sent it across the sea. So what we're getting is that women get locked inside. You should lock women away. (laughs) (laughs) All the best stories come from putting them in a little tiny claustrophobic space.
3: When the Phantom of Lot leaves the woman locked herself away. She was hiding from the mother-in-law. Yeah. Drink. Still died, so you know it's still not a good idea.
1: <laughs> I think there was a Korean prince as well who was punished by being locked into a chest until he starved.
4: Why is this so common? Actually, I think <laughs> that's Fine. a
1: method of punishment. Um, that you lock a you lock a person in a chest until they starve, and you put it out in, like into the elements.
2: So the you know the Nord Loch in Edinburgh, where Princess Street Gardens is mm-hmm. now, it used to be a big stinking pit. There was someone, I can't remember what the thing was. I'm sure the accusation was like this guy who's, I can't remember if it was witchcraft or if they were just having some sort of incestuous relationship with his two sisters. But the three of them were supposedly crammed into a chest and then thrown out into the oar loch, which it like bobs there for days because it's so thick. (laughs) And uh, until it sank in and and thing. And it was one of those things that, you know, it's a story everybody tells people. Yeah. Then when he drained the orlock, they found a chest, and it had the skeletons.
1: Oh, you're kidding! Oh, uh-huh. That's horrifying. That's grim. Yeah.
3: And that I think that's what thing.
1: that's what gets me about these stories. <laughs> it's the having the just a little bit of evidence that makes it like <gasps> so. Like a table being thrown into a pond, you could see how that that could be from anything. The name scratched into a windowsill a trunk at the bottom of the Norlock with three skeletons in it. Like, if you don't believe in ghosts, you're crazy.
3: I feel kind of bad for his new wife. Yeah. Like, not only is she just married a dude who she probably knows just bumped off the ex-wife, but, like, she's had her wedding night ruined and all by this evil go. Well, not evil, this righteous ghost. <laughs> <laughs> I like
0: the correction. Yeah, righteous.
3: she's <laughs> very much not
2: evil. That's the thing about lily's drummond is he when she gets called the head ghost it's because she apparently keeps the other ghosts in check and stops them from doing anything particularly bad or dangerous or whatever
1: that just makes her so much more tragic
4: This story takes us all the way back to the 1500s, specifically 1513, which is the year that a very special baby was born, and his name was George Wishart. George was born in Aberdeenshire and attended King's College, Aberdeen, before later studying at the University of Leuven in Belgium, which, on an aside, how many protagonists in folklore tales have we had who have travelled abroad for their studies and then gone on to do something amazing? I'm just saying, George was definitely one of them. Whilst in Belgium, George became very interested in the Protestant Reformation that was quickly spreading across Europe, and all of the new interpretations of the Bible that came along with it. So when George returned to Scotland, he became a schoolmaster in Montrose and decided to teach the New Testament. But at the time, that was a crime, and he was actually charged with heresy, which essentially means that his teachings were contrary to the commonly held beliefs at the time. These beliefs went against the Catholic Church, who held the most power, and his charge was actually punishable by death. So George fled to Bristol in England. However, soon after, his unorthodox teachings got him in trouble again. So once more, he had to flee and he went back to Europe, spending a few years in Germany and Switzerland until finally in 1542, he returned to the UK to teach at Cambridge University. A year later, he decided to brave Scotland once more and he frequented Montrose and Dundee and surrounding areas to preach Protestant teachings. Sadly, not long after his return to Scotland, the plague broke out, mainly in Dundee, and George, being a very kind man, stayed behind and looked after those who were sick. He told people about how sin was a worse disease than the plague and how they could be healed by the Lord Jesus Christ. As another interesting fact, and especially because a lot of us on the podcast are based in Dundee, the Wishart Arch in Dundee is named after George. It marks the location where he held his sermons. And while the original arch is believed to have been destroyed, a very similar or even replica was rebuilt in the 17th century. And that is what stands in the middle of what is now a modern car park to this day, but it has been preserved. But its So, its influence cannot be denied, and it has been protected over time, and there's even a plaque telling the story. The original arch was part of the city wall that surrounded Dundee, which was actually quite common at the time for a lot of cities. But in this instance, during the plague, the doors of the wall were kept closed just to keep those suffering from the plague out and protect other people in Dundee. By standing on this wall and preaching, George was able to speak to people on both sides. And this is about the, a rise in popularity in, in Protestant beliefs here in Scotland, where previously only the Catholic view of the Bible's teachings was ever accepted. And also during his time in Dundee, George's teachings caught the eye of a Cardinal Beaton, who not long before had had someone else executed for similar crimes to George's. So it just shows the dangerous place that George was in, preaching these tales Uh, as they were kind of seen at the time, um, that were very unorthodox and sort of illegal to be speaking in this way against the Church. Cardinal Beaton even hired a hitman, who was a priest no less, and he hired him to take out George after a sermon that was taking place in Dundee. However, despite the priest charging at him with a knife, he couldn't do the deed and George embraced him and forgave him as the good man that he was. This only made the Cardinal try harder, and as they say, if you want something done well, you do it yourself. So the Cardinal forged a letter to George, pretending to be one of George's old friends and saying that he was very sick and needed George to visit him. However, something seemed very off to George and he was very suspicious. It was like he had a sixth sense. So instead, he sent some of his friends to investigate and they discovered the Cardinal's plans, which thankfully meant that George got to live. for now. Next, I'm going to cut a slightly too long story short, and just simply say that George was later in life double-crossed by some people who pretended to be his followers. In reality, they were in league with the Cardinal, who at this point resided in St Andrews. Eventually, George himself was taken to St Andrews, and this was roughly 1546. He was put on trial for being a heretic with 18 counts of heresy, which is You know 18 death sentences essentially because even just one would carry a death sentence and he was also accused of being an english spy george was unfortunately then executed on the first of march 1545 at saint andrew's castle he performed a prayer quoted the bible to prove his innocence and try and convince people that he was speaking the truth from the bible itself but it didn't protect him He was even said to kiss the executioner on the cheek as an expression of forgiveness for what he was about to do to him. And then he was hung and burned at the stake. However, many of his followers and those who had been touched by his words over the years saw the injustice of what had just happened. And the event actually helped to unite Protestant believers across Scotland. After his passing, some of George's most loyal followers said that George's last words actually predicted the Cardinal's passing making many think that he was a prophet, because on the 29th of May, the same year, so only three months later, even less, a mob of George's supporters, who were now reformed Protestants themselves, gathered at St Andrew's Castle, which was the Cardinal's home. And they pretended to be his servants, but instead they stormed the castle, killed everybody in sight who opposed them, and gathered outside the Cardinal's bedroom, threatening to set fire to it to get him to come out. As he was a very cocky man however the cardinal remarked that they can't kill him because he's a priest. (laughs) That was some solid logic because unfortunately he was actually stabbed with a sword which did kill him. Horrifyingly however the remains of the cardinal were mutilated and hung outside the castle as a warning to others and then, this is awful, he was pickled in a barrel of brine and thrown into a dungeon cell and this was the same cell as a man that he had tortured for similar crimes to George's some years prior. This tied both men to the castle, and he said to be one of the restless ghosts that roamed St Andrews. Annoyingly for the cardinal, however, he is stuck for all of eternity with the man that he hated and plotted against multiple times. None other than George Wishart. Many accounts describe the ghost of George as a foretelling that a significant event is due. Could be both good and bad but he will only appear when something big is going to happen. And he provides guidance and encouragement to those who carry on the legacy of the Protestant Reformation in Scotland. And on top of that, his ghost is actually credited as being a symbol of defence um, against the kind of religious oppression that a lot of people experienced. And it was also shown the commitment of those who fought for religious and political change in Scotland's past. His presence touched many people in life. And now it continues to do so in death. Also, if you're in St Andrews and do the castle tour, which I've done and highly recommend, there is a wax figure of George pretty much at the very start of the tour near the main entrance, and that tells his whole story and his execution in great detail. So it is something that will also continue to touch history um, through time.
0: I kind of stand George.
4: I know
0: <laughs> <That's> an awful <awesome laughs> thing to say on
4: our podcast.
0: Stan? <laughs> Dan, someone in the year of our Lord 2023. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's just just out to like, you know, help people, shows up when big things happen.
3: I wonder what one's more creepy looking the ghost or the waxwork of the person. (laughs) (laughs) Or, because I've yet to see a non creepy waxwork. I find mm. them all eerie when I'm next to them. Or, how
0: about the pickled ghost? (gasps) Yeah, guys, this looks pickled,
3: right? all gherkins
1: <laughs> maybe he's like half a, the size that he used
3: to be it sounds like a new flavour that like play, Pringles would try
1: Pickles 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 Cardinal. <laughs> I have to admit though I would watch the Hackad TV series about George and the Cardinals battle
4: yeah like Tom and Jerry like how can you hire <laughs> I don't <He> know. hired <laughs> a priest to take
1: out another religious man yeah, is... to, that's that's who he knows.
0: Yeah, no, I would watch the hell out of a store, uh, show about that guy's life, though. Mm-hmm. And the fact that, like, that arch is still standing there is really cool. Considering the fact I've that, like... That
4: arch.
0: Dundee. Oh, used, no, I was just going to say that, considering the fact Dundee used to have the Victoria Arch down at the waterfront, which was this big, like, elaborate, beautiful archway, <laughs> it, it got demolished. Um,
3: yeah, but Dundee demolished a lot of stuff in the city yeah. to build very ugly buildings.
0: But the fact that, like, that got pulled down yeah but the little pokey little like city wall arch bit is still
3: there i'd like an arch you'd like an arch yeah there probably is a david arch Mm. somewhere it's a fairly (laughs) common name (laughs) i'll just (laughs) pretend it's mine (laughs) it's quite
4: cool about the arch where so for anyone who's obviously not been to dundee or hasn't googled yet what arch we're talking about it just sits in the middle of this extremely modern car park next to some very very tall very modern flats it's so out of place which is why like I've walked past it a million times and I've always wondered you know why it's there I'm really glad I googled why it's there (laughs)
1: that's a classic the UK is known for putting very important historical objects in car parks
0: I mean Richard the well,
1: yeah. second <laughs> <laughs> Richard the Third, even. And then you've got uh, almost all of the London, the Roman wall is car park based. Oh my goodness.
2: <laughs> uh, that episode is easily the most interesting thing has ever happened in like St Andrew's Castle. That is like the bit of St Andrew's castle history. It's amazing. Yeah. And it's got and like everything to do with the castle is basically involved in that like George Wisher's initials outside when he was burned. There's and like his mates that went in, the Fife Lairds, and they were in for like but like just over a year and a bit they held on to that castle far. And the, like the bottle dungeon. You can go to the bottle dungeon where the pickles thing was there. And then there's the mine and yeah. the counter mine.
4: Yeah, that's another thing I should say is the story has so many arms and legs, and there's so many famous people involved that I kind of had to cut it down for the purposes of this, but Next A million stories right. we could come out with on the back of it those mines though in the counter mines like my friend went down and he filmed him going through and there's kind of ladders and bits and bobs but how tight are those tunnels mm. yeah you never really think how tiny people were back in the day but my goodness you you had to like he was on sort of crawling through it at one point he was like i'm so glad i wore shorts because <laughs> <laughs> it's it's kind of horrible like Mike, obviously you've been but it's kind of it's wet, and it's, ugh. um But it's so tight and claustrophobic. Oh, absolutely not.
3: They're probably underwater at the moment with the other of rain, Yeah, you? true.
4: Thinking it's probably, yeah, they're probably it's, locked in. It's the closest I'll ever get
0: to caving.
3: Thinking of the, like, ruined stuff at St Andrew's, you had a fun one before, didn't you, Roisin, that was, like, a ghost that was at the abbey, was it not? Like, yeah, the white really lady of one. St Andrew's. And she
1: was uh, who they f- I no go on.
3: No, was she not like a kind of ancient, ancient style person? Not like just a few hundred years back.
1: Yeah. So there's a couple of stories about her, but the one that I was really interested in was that they'd found a coffin hidden in one of these like towers in the abbey, and it was actually like the, the it was found quite recently, and then they dated it back to like druidic times so they think it was some kind of relic but then uh, i think it was three coffins that they found and when they opened one of them here's this like mummified body wearing a long white dress oh my God. which is just frightening and there's it's really cool because again it like not far along from the castle that used to be my i'm tired of my essays and i just need to go and remember what fresh air is like <laughs> walk from the library And you pass the castle, not two minutes later, here's the abbey on your right-hand side. And there's a little tower and you can reach your hand in. And um, people have said, you reach your hand and you can feel someone's hand on the other side. And that's the white lady of St. Andrews. So it's just absolutely chock-a-block with ghosts.
3: So... I've got a few little bits. Well, one's a proper story. There's two little ones that I wanted to just drop in as well. Because I like the idea of sharing a couple of stories that are ones that are just told about when you're little. I think that's always what people think of when they think of ghost stories. It's tales that were told kind of around campfires or sleepovers and that kind of thing. So there's a couple of small ones from where I'm from down in Dumfries and Galloway. Um that I can remember. I'm sure I was told a lot more but my memory is terrible. So one of the ones is to do with Jenny Miller um, and she was a woman who lived in the late 19th century I think it was around about the 1870s um, and she lived near um, I always forget the name of the place One Luck Head because it's a funny name. She lived near One Luck Head which a lot of people know for being A gold mine, well, an old lead mine, but being a place that people now go to find their fortune with panning for gold in the hills. Um, In those days, it was more of a a lead mine, but still quite an industrious place. Um, Jenny Miller was a farmer out in the fields, and she was one day travelling to her sister's wedding. So she was in a Sunday best, and she had a basket with her uh, laden with gifts for her beloved sister. And she traipsed off across the hills. Uh, and if you've ever been to that part of Scotland, which I would recommend you do, it's a lovely place. Uh, but the hills are huge. You go big hills, deep valleys, rolling about in the lead hills, which is where Walnut head is. Um so she was traipsing across these, and as one of the highest areas in Scotland, and Walnut head being the highest village in Scotland, snow struck out of the blue, and she was caught in a blizzard in the hills. And died there um, and it was seven days before any of the locals found her and they built a little cairn on there with a, a little tablet card for jenny miller in memory of and it was just left there and everybody kind of forgot about it through the years and then at some point in the late 20, well i think it was about the 1970s although i could be wrong i'm trying to remember the tale now i think it was about the 1970s someone was hiking in these hills because it's a popular place to visit and a nice place to hike. Also, part of it is on the Southern Upland Way as well, which is another place I'd recommend a, a wander through. Um, and they were wandering through and the mist came down. And it's rumoured a lot around the area that if the mist comes down, you'll find weird things in the mist and lead hills. And uh, on this occasion, they came across a woman. But she looked quite strange, you know, slightly antiquated outfit, carrying a basket, she told him to look in the pile of stones. He was a bit unsure what was going on there. And he tried to walk towards her and she just disappeared in the mist and there was no one there. Eventually he found his way back down to One look Head and met up with his travelling companions there and told them about what he'd seen. And they all said, Well, you know, there is there's rumors about a ghost in these hills. We don't know who it is or what it's about. Um so the next day he decided to go up and do what the ghost had said, have a look in the stones and see what he could find. And um, he had a look in this cairn and in it there was two halves of a stone and if you put them together it read Jenny Miller or resting place of Jenny Miller created her name when you put it together and that stone's actually still in one of the museums down at Wanlick Head now you can go and see the, the oh, Jenny wow. Miller stone that he found while he was out hiking um, that apparently he was told to find by the ghost itself and there's nothing meant to be evil about the sinister about the ghost itself you just apparently if you go hiking those hills in the mist there's a chance you'll spot her wandering along that's one I was told when I was a, a scout. That was one I was told when I was in the scouts oh. camping ghost story. Yeah. Um, and there's another one as well that is set at a castle that me and Becca decided to go and see. Um, that I thought would be a lovely, romantic, you know, sunset walk to this castle, Um, forgetting how quickly the sun was going to set. Uh, so it ended up being a rather spooky retreat from a castle in the pitch dark. Um, and that castle was Castle, which was the castle of the Black Douglases. Um, it's, near, it's near Castle Douglas, and we walked from there out. And to get to it now, you can either take a little boat that runs during the day, or you can walk along the stepping stones through the river itself which is what we did because we decided to go at sunset when everything was closed. You go across and it's a ruin of a castle now and it was slightly eerie when we were there because rather than the romantic sunset, we got pitch dark at a large castle on an island. Um, And there's a bit of a reason for that. So the story that I was told anyway as it went was that when the castle was attacked by King James, the one of the numbers, um, (laughs) it was laying siege to, I think it was around about the mid 1500s, would that be James the... I don't know one of the Jameses uh, he was angry so was his second, there we go I
2: think it was the second <laughs> so we'll got, go
3: with the second That's he, he
2: was the one that murdered um, the guy, the earl at Stirling Castle and threw him out a window and I think this was the war that happened after that
3: yeah that was, it was his son that was at the castle at this point so yeah that'll be the same king yeah there we go. So the castle was being laid siege to the son of the, the Douglas that was thrown out the windows, trying his best to defend them off. And it was quite well defended. They had a good artillery barracks running around it, good defences, good cannons. Um, but as with any tower castles, if you fire a cannon hard enough at the walls, it will go through it. And in this case, that's what happened. They fired a very powerful cannon, went through the wall and apparently took off the hand of the lady of the house. And it was rumored that there was a kind of ghost of a lady going about. And apparently, many years later, when they were doing excavations of the castle, they found a cannonball and lifting it up, they found the shattered, broken bones of a hand lying underneath it. Um, and there was also a kind of additional part to that tale that I didn't hear when I was a child, but I had read about subsequently. And um, that apparent, well, in legend anyway, that was the first firing of Mons Meg, was to fire that ball that took the hand off the Lady of the Castle. Oh. Whether that was or not, I think it was just important to Scotland the year... I think it was actually important to Scotland the year after that siege was meant to happen, or the year of. So whether it was used there is a bit disputed. Anyway, so that was my second one, and then in the slightly longer one, moving from stories I was told as a child down in Fife and I've got to a story of about where I am now. So it's a story from Glam's Castle. It's the story of Janet Douglas. So Janet Douglas was born at the end of the 15th century, um, and she went on to have a very happy first marriage with John Lyon, um, And that came to a tragic end when he died, which also overlaid with another tragedy of her life of being arrested for treason, and also then arrested for his poison, because her brother was Archibald Doug- well, yeah, her brother was Archibald Douglas who had imprisoned James V for a while, and he was rather peeved about that. So he went after Archibald Douglas and pretty much anyone related to him in order to, for the treasons of having him imprisoned when he was younger. Um, so she went on trial, and it was a very long trial. It lasted many years. She was imprisoned and then out of prison, and she married then a Campbell after her first husband had died, and she was charged as poison. Campbells couldn't fear her, even they weren't as powerful as King James V. Um, So then she was eventually, I think about 10 years after she was originally charged of all these things, of poisoning her first husband, of planning to poison the king, and um, of general treason activities with her relatives. And then they also decided, because King James V had a real thing for it, he decided she was also a witch. Um, and of course, since he was the one in charge, she was definitely a witch, according to him. So she got charge of all, all these things. Now, any one of the ones would probably get your head off or hung or cord, but the witch one, as well meant she was burnt on the stake. um despite being you know, lady of Glam's Castle, she was also she was married to a Campbell. You couldn't be much more high up in the Scottish establishment without being a member of the royalty itself. um so it did kind of show that no one was really spared when it came to who pissed off King James V. Um, but anyway, after she was burned on the stake, it was said that, that after Glam- well, shortly after that, Glam's Castle was returned to her son. And it was said that a ghost appeared that had never been seen before. And it was a grey lady who was particularly seen haunting the chapel at Glam's Castle and is apparently seen to this day and I don't know quite why the chapel maybe because as a witch she would have been burned and never allowed to be interred in holy ground so she would mm. haunt the area that was forbidden to her but that's said to be the tale of Lady Janet Grey or no, Lady Janet Douglas <laughs> <laughs>
1: It's a frightening amount of grey ladies in Scotland
3: and white ones and green ones and there was also a blue one that I was reading about as well
0: Really? Yeah
1: and lions and tigers and bears oh, oh my God. just thinking about all the ghosts you've done so far what, what do you think makes a ghost why do some people get to be ghosts and some people don't because we've had a lot of people on the that we've covered on the podcast They've not been on the podcast George Wishart wasn't on here being like let me tell you about my life uh, you don't
3: know that maybe he was here in spirit. maybe he is
1: maybe they're all sitting in front of us now being like don't call me a
4: mean ghost I'm great That's why Molly's
3: annoyed. She can sense the ghosts. Ah, that'll be it.
4: Or they're sitting here being like, that's not what happened. (laughs) (laughs) David, through your second, I think it was the second story, but with the gravestone and the guy being shown to the stone, I kind of maybe think, like, if, if I was a ghost and I was having to spend all eternity on Earth watching things change and things get ruined and new things come in their place, I'd be pretty pissed if my stone got demolished or whatever and I was just watching people walking over it and no one was picking it up I would I would absolutely be like hey that's my stone you fix that up thanks.
3: <laughs> yeah I think some people at, at the time had kind of asked well why would you do that and, you know, give a message for a relative or a curse against something but I think a lot of what people want in life and presumably in death as well is is to be remembered to some extent and so that was what she was remembered through was that her epith- well her stone with her name on it that was her name carved in stone to be remembered and passed out and it did end up in the museum again and remembered so yeah. it does make sense why she would want it to be noticed and picked up
4: that kind of goes back to Rasheen's question of like, what makes the ghost maybe it's that willingness to either always be remembered or to live on in, in some way there's a great will to do something with the life that was taken from you and kind of extend opportunities. Yeah,
0: and I think that phrasing that you used there, the life that was taken from you, I think there's got to be an element of tragedy to it as well. I think most ghost stories seem to come from some kind of unhappy, tragic end, whether it's like in an accident up a hill in the snow or, you know, someone actively killing you. Yeah, Yeah, but think
1: about Bloody Tom. He died peacefully, age 70, which is pretty good for those days, 1600s.
0: Maybe that's the element mm. of like the you know, the the big personality, mm. like you were saying, too big to be contained.
1: Yeah.
3: I think Body time might be a, a bit of an exception to the general. Like I think you still get ones of nobles, well, rumours about them, like Kings haunting this one and William Wallace there and stuff. But well, William Wallace did have a brutal end, but not the best example. <laughs> <laughs> Peaceful deaths but of notable people where there's ghosts. But I think of mm. the common person or of Kind of not quite the common person, but notable warriors and things. It's the brutal death that possibly mm. the thing that mm. makes them.
1: Well, I'm just thinking as well about there's a modern ghost in the Charles Rennie Mackintosh house in Helensburgh of the man who owned the house, and he'll just apparently you you'll smell pipe smoke and you might see him standing at the top of the stairs, but I don't think he had a violent death either. So, oh. and I don't think he had a particularly like loud life so maybe it's just depending what importance we place on these people or these things
0: yeah or an unfinished they're always business. tied to
1: like a, a some kind of house or special stone like there's always something physical that ties them there yeah in all of the stories we've told so far anyway
0: maybe people have come to associate him with the house and it's almost like the memory's been tied to
1: it. Maybe sometimes you just have a One really good other... gaff, and you just don't want to give it up.
0: Exactly. Like... <laughs>
1: <laughs> You're like, I just One got my other... house exactly like I want it, and I don't want to just abandon it now.
3: One of the other favourite wee ghosts I came across when I was doing research it was uh, there's a wee dog that apparently haunts, uh, haunts Brodie's Castle, and I'm like, I'd like the idea of a little ghost dog because like. You' gonna have to feed it, walk it, take it out to the toilet. Like that would be really oh, handy. It's not. It's not apparently mean or barking. It just kind of wanders about the bit. And I'm like, that that would suit me quite nicely.
0: That also makes me sad though, because all the humans that it was with in its life are gone. You think it's just wandering around like, where's everyone?
1: No. <laughs> Another thing that's interesting is none of our ghosts have been malicious, really.
0: Mm. No. Yeah, that's true. Because we didn't, we didn't even plan that. That's just
1: yeah. Do you believe in them or not?
0: Yes. Mm -hmm. Like to
4: like to think that there's more after after this. (laughs) that one's alive.
3: (laughs) I'm kind of on the fence. Like some, like I know a couple of that's in Dumfries and Gallery that looked to me where things have just been a bit too creepy to not be like there was one house that like it was a big manor house and it kept burning down and like one of those ones it would have been insurance fraud but the rest of them the people went bankrupt because it did so like I think that one good. and then there was the guy we used to work with who used to live at that house where loads of weird stuff went on like pictures would throw themselves down the stairs that were like screwed onto the wall like at a certain time of night there would always be like the sound of heavy footsteps his dogs would completely freak out at one time of night like the same time when it was thought to be like when this farmer came back and I think it turned out that like that farmer had killed his wife or something mm-hmm. and so it was all thought to be all entwined with this and there was a lot of creepy stuff got in there for it not to be real or at least something behind it yeah. so I'm, I'm on the fence with it.
1: I think I've got a weird take but I think I like to think that objects have memories and i just can't imagine like the the stone on which the cardinal was pickled that's a traumatizing event for that to happen and i just can't like these her, her, either horrific deaths or just big lives lived loudly just etch their way into like these physical things that we make and i just can't see that memory being lost but that's also because I'm quite romantic, so
0: I think that's a beautiful way to end the podcast. <laughs> <Yeah. I> like- <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Folklore Scotland podcast. We'll be back every week with more folkloric content from stories to analysis. The podcast is brought to you by Folklore Scotland the charity that aims to make Scottish folklore accessible using digital platforms telling the tales of the past with the technology of today If you'd like to become a voluntary contributor or would like to get in touch pop us an email at info at folklorescotland.com and you can find all of our social media as well as a list of sources in the show notes below The charity also now has a Ko-fi page which you can find in the show notes if you would like to help us continue the work that we do